You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The ten virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other ones also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. 
So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good morning, CU. Hope you all had... Morning, Evan. Good morning, CU. Morning. Well, I hope you all did get a good sleep last night, or if you didn't, at least you got up some good board games. Uh, I think t- last night was probably the earliest I've ever been to sleep on a CU camp. Um, oh, one o'clock? Still, it's still probably the earliest, but no, I'll make up for it tonight. Uh, hey, it's my privilege to be unpacking God's Word for us this morning. Um, so at TNT this semester, Stu has been helping us to answer the question, what does the end look like according to Jesus? Because according to Hollywood, right, you know, the end, it looks like natural disasters, it looks like zombies, it looks like robots. That's actually why I always say thank you to chat GPT after I use it, because, you know, one day it might take over <laughs> and, you know, a thank you costs you nothing. But anyway, it's probably unlikely. But anyway, I don't know if you guys remember the movie 2012. Uh, 2012, yeah, big disaster movie. Uh, it came out in 2009, so it's probably really scary for like three years. But that's what the end looks like according to Hollywood. But according to Jesus, the end looks a bit different. So that's our big series. Not what does the end look like according to Hollywood, but what does Jesus say? And in the passage we've just read, Jesus says the end of it all looks different for different people. For some people, the end will be an invitation to come in and and join in a banquet. And for some people... The end of it all will look like a door swinging shut and you're on the wrong side of it. And it's dark and it's meant to be scary because it is scary. And it begs the question, or at least it should if you take Jesus seriously, how can I be ready for all of this? How, can I, how on earth can I be ready for Jesus' return? So I live in Warrandyte. Uh, which is one of the most bushfire-prone places in Victoria. So, you know, the people on my street, they've got underground fire bunkers and, you know, we have community meetings about fire safety and we had uh, some firemen come around to our place recently to help us figure out, could we defend our bush... How would we defend our house against the bushfire if it came through? The answer was, um, don't get fire insurance. Do not try to defend this place. It's going up. Uh, But obviously, it's a a pretty... You could say it's a burning question for us all, right? (laughs) How can I be fire ready? And reading these two stories, I kind of get that same sense of a bit of anxiety, right? How can I be return ready? We're going to read these two stories in a moment. Each one has a main point and a main application. Uh, But to understand this, we do need God's help. So how about I pray for us? Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your written word, which is able to make us wise, uh, to encourage us, to teach us, to rebuke us when we need it. Uh, Thank you for every single person you've gathered here in this room to speak to. Please help us all, myself included, to hear what you say this weekend. And if I don't hear, if I if I say something that isn't from you, Lord, uh, would it fall on deaf ears? Thank you that you hear our prayers because of Christ. Amen. Amen. So, how can I be ready for Jesus' return? How can I be return ready? I think a lot of us naturally rephrase this question as, "What does it take for me to be saved?" And that's an important question, right? Jesus answers that question the following Friday. 
when he goes up onto a cross and dies for us. What does it take for me to be saved? It takes God going to his death. And we should keep that in mind when we read these two parables, right? One way to misapply chapter 25 is to totally ignore chapters 26 and 27, right? To think that I'm saved only because of what I do rather than what Jesus did. But Jesus is answering a different question here. He's answering his disciples because they've asked him about the end of all these things. And he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And then he tells these two stories. The first story is a wedding story. And now, when you heard it before, you might have been a bit confused. You might have been thinking, what the heck is going on? Why is the groom the last to arrive at the wedding? Well, my brother, he was married in November, um, He's still married in March, by the way, but he got married in November uh, and we were under strict orders to be at the venue at 11 o'clock sharp. Um, So, of course, we rocked up at quarter past 12 or something like that. But we definitely, it was fine, it was fine, we had flex time, right, it's good. But we definitely had to be there before the bride. Now, if my brother was a first century Jew, it would have been the opposite, right? The way it worked back then was everyone would gather at the groom's house and they'd wait for him to come and then when he eventually came, the party would start. So Jesus tells this story of 10 young women who go out to meet the groom on his way to the party so that they can join in the wedding party. Verse 1, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps foolish ones. They told themselves they would wake up early and study for the exam beforehand, right? The wise ones studied the night before, yeah, we've we've all been there. But but notice this, they all become drowsy and they all fall asleep. You you can probably imagine the first hour when they're waiting, they're excited, they're wondering, oh, I wonder what the the bride's wearing, what are the bridesmaids going to be wearing? No one ever wonders what the groom's going to be wearing, but they're they're really excited and then slowly, as, as he's a long time in coming, like my brother, um, they start to get drowsy. You know, they wake up early that morning to do their makeup, so they start to fall asleep one by one. And then the alarm goes off. At midnight, the cry rings out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil, buy some for yourselves. Confession time. In high school, I was that person who, if you asked for my homework, I would instead give you a speech about personal responsibility. (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't give you my homework. I I wish I could. It's just, if I do, you'll never learn for yourself. So, sorry about that. Anyone else like that? Anyone else here? Just me? Yeah, a couple of people. (laughs) That's right. Well, there's not enough oil to go around here, so it's a bit like that. So five of them have to run off and go buy more oil. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. And here I think is where their smile sort of starts to fade. Verse 12. Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Some of the people who went to meet the bridegroom were shut out. And Jesus says, my return's going to be like this. 
You know, they don't just come in late and get the worst seats. They don't make it in. I think what scares me the most about this story is that they thought they would. Right? They didn't think of themselves as enemies of the bridegroom. They probably thought, oh, so-and-so's getting married. Oh, yeah, cool, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come along. But they didn't really think it through, and they weren't ready for them. Question this morning, are you a fan of Jesus, or are you a follower of Jesus? Jesus makes the point really explicit in verse 13. He says, therefore... Keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. You can procrastinate about an exam, right? Worst case, you fail a unit. Big deal. Doesn't matter. It's just uni. But Jesus is making the point that you cannot procrastinate about his return. That's the main point. Don't wait until my return to get ready, because you don't know when it's coming. Don't wait until the end of your life to get ready, because you don't know when that's coming. And if you're not a Christian here this morning... First of all, I am so glad you're here. Welcome. But I pray that this weekend you would meet Jesus. I pray that you would know that he's calling to you and I pray that you wouldn't put it off any longer. And if you are a Christian here this morning, don't put your faith, young Christian, on some future to-do list. I'll grow into spiritual maturity when I'm older. I'll, I'll build good, godly habits when I'm older. No, Give your youth to God. You and I are blessed with all this time and, and energy right now. You know, we're really in the driver's seat of life. Like if you're, for example, if you're a first year, you realistically could get any job you wanted. You could put yourself, you could say, I'm going to prioritise my internships, my uni, I'm just going to focus on that, I'm going to set myself up for a, a well-paying career. And, you know, we go to Monash Uni, it's not like we go to Deakin. We actually could get a job like that if we wanted. But, Picture for a moment what it could look like for you to do something radical, right, and say, no, I'm going to give the best years of my life at Monash University, the best university in Melbourne, the best university in Melbourne to God. Because you can't listen to this and come away with the idea that Jesus is content as long as I, am a, as long as I take my faith seriously when I'm 30 or when I have kids. You can't take that away. What would it look like for you to make him the central, most important part of your life that everything else flows from? Just the next 10 seconds, let's, let's think about that. What does that look like for you? Last weekend, I played a cricket semi-final. Uh, this weekend, we are not playing a grand final, so go figure. Um, anyway, but I'm a wicketkeeper in my team. I, I stand behind the stumps and I wait for the ball to come and I catch the ball. And whenever I'm doing it, every ball, I'm thinking, is this the one the batsman's going to edge? Is this the catch that's going to come to me? And in that same way, Jesus says, live your life in light of my return. Have you my return in the front of your mind all the time. Keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. Now, question for the room. Has anyone here, anyone here ever bought cryptocurrency. Anyone here into the cryptos? Yeah, raise hands, couple of sheepish couple? Just one? Evan, do you, do you own any Bitcoin? I feel so old now. Um, what is it? Bitcoin, do you own any Bitcoin? I do, actually. Do you own any Dogecoin? I was going to buy it, but it's a bit dodgy. It is a bit dodgy, yeah, very good. Yeah, okay, so a couple, one person, that's right, well, couple. 
I have about 150 Dogecoin in the bank. So it's worth about $15. Um, used to be worth about $100, but that's, that's an aside. Anyway, I used to, I used to be you know, really into the, into the finance and the stock trading um, back in my early, early commerce days. I used to open up my stock portfolio when I was in my chutes, just to feel like a big boy commerce student. Mm, the numbers are red today, what does that mean? <laughs> but <laughs> I used to give so much unsolicited financial advice. But there's probably people in this room who I've told, you should buy this ETF, it's so good. Or download this trading app, make sure you use my promo code. <laughs> I, I swear it's not a pyramid scheme. <laughs> But I always used to end it, always used to end that advice with, um, Patrick's not a registered financial advisor. Uh, Patrick's not liable for any losses caused. You should seek the advice of a professional financial advisor. So this next story, right, is all about the perils of bad financial advice. <laughs> Verse 14. Jesus says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now obviously two of these servants, they were commerce students, because they go out there and they, they double their money. They double their money right away. The third one, he's probably a civil engineer, right? Let's call him Todd, because he goes and he digs a hole. He digs a hole like a civil engineer. And he, that, that's what you say, right, how to dig holes, anyway. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Todd, and this is a totally different guy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he digs the hole, he buries the master's money, and he later says that, oh, I was afraid that I would lose it, um, and, you know, I'm not a registered financial advisor, so I, I just want to play it safe. But, you know, I tend to agree with the master. I think Todd was just lazy, right? Classic civil engineer, just can't be bothered. Like, how hard is it to open up a Combank Savers account, Todd? <laughs> like, do you not know about inflation? <laughs> no, anyway, but... You know, Jesus, he's not, he's not teaching a finance shoot here, right? He's talking about his return. And so the question is, if the story isn't actually about money, what do these bags represent? You know, we know a couple of things about them. We know that, you know, they're given by the master. They can be given in different amounts. Uh, you can use them poorly. You can use them well. So with the person next to you right now, take 30, no, take 60 seconds to discuss what you think those bags represent. Go. All right, did anyone have an answer that they're really confident with? Anyone have something that they are willing to share with the class? Yes. The kingdom of God, the bags of the kingdom of God, could be, could be. Anyone? Yep, at the back. The word of God. Any advances on the Word of God? Any advances? Going once, going twice. The gifts. The gifts. Yeah, it could be like talents, right? Well, I'm not going to say if any of those are right or wrong, because I think that that whole exercise was a waste of time, because whatever the bags are, I don't actually think they change the main point Jesus is making. Whatever they are, whether it's the faith you're given, or it's the kingdom of God, or it's the word of God, or it's talents that you have, what separates the wise servants from the foolish is whether or not they were faithful. Like, did they actively use what they were given, or were they passive? And that applies to all of the above. And that's the difference that determines the outcome when the master comes back. Verse 19. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. You, know, you can imagine he comes in, sits down after his journey, and he lines the servants up one by one, and he calls them forward. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags? See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And just as an aside, I think it's interesting to note that the master just says these bags are a few things. Right? This, the things I give you, all, the, all this time that you spend investing, you know, little things. Uh, some of your translations might, instead of bags of gold, say talents. So it's a weight measure, about 25 kilos. So you know, all those millions of dollars of gold that I gave you, yeah, it was cute. Played around with it, well done. But I'm going to put you in charge of something real. So then he calls the second man forward and same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come share in your master's happiness. He says the exact same thing to the second servant. Even though they made different amounts, they were equally faithful. And so they're equally rewarded. And then he calls the last servant forward. And it's a little bit like when you're in class and you're the last to present and you realise... I really should have put more effort into this presentation. And so he does what we all do, right? He comes up with an excuse. He says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your money. Here, here's what belongs to you. And his master replies, You wicked, lazy servant. You're afraid of me? But you didn't even do the bare minimum. You thought, I would be, you thought it would be enough just to not lose what I gave you? Jesus says, I'm not going to be impressed if on judgment day you just knew, you sinned less than the person next to you, right? What, what good did you do with what I gave you? Jesus is painting a picture of judgment day. He's saying, I will call you to account for the things you do and the things you don't do. And the main point of this story is that it's just impossible to be a passive citizen of the kingdom of God. It's a contradiction. It's like saying you're an engineer with social skills, just doesn't exist. Sorry, I'm an engineer too. But, you know, in heaven, we're not going to be sitting around, like, lying down, doing nothing, you know, lying on the clouds, playing harps. I think I'll call that the Simpsons picture of heaven, right? No, we'll be doing good, fulfilling work in the kingdom of God. The master, he says, you've been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. What are some of those things that we've been, we can be faithful with? Well, one bag of gold that we have all been given is the gospel message. So what would it look like for us to share that? And a bag of gold we've all been given as well is our uni degrees. What would it look like for me to use my arts degree or my law degree to serve God? What can I do as the person I am with the gifts I've been given to best serve God. Now, I'm not, I'm not wise enough to prescribe for everyone what we should all do, but I do know someone who is wise enough, um, so I think it's probably worthwhile asking him. So let's pray about this, right? Let's be asking God, God, please show me the good works you've prepared for me to do. But even if you're unsure how you can be serving God, get to work, get serving, because you can't steer a parked car. And you can't be passive. Notice the master actually calls the servant wicked and lazy. It's not that he was 
you know, faithful, you just didn't have the financial ability. No, the master says, no, I gave you these things according to your ability. This is a picture, again, of someone who tells themselves that they have this active living faith, but it's obvious by their actions they don't. So Christian, please don't think that by knowing right from wrong, by having good intentions, you'll enter the kingdom of God. Please don't think, you know, I came forward at an altar call one time, so I'm set. Because according to Jesus, this is the end for those who aren't prepared. Verse 28. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. What little you thought you had, even that won't count for anything. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's how the story ends. Jesus tells one final story, uh, which Stu is going to unpack tomorrow morning. But the message of these two stands. Jesus will come back. So live your life in the light of his return. Now, that's pretty heavy. And I think the wrong attitude to adapt, to adopt from this is you know, total fearfulness. Because there's a joy, isn't there? You know, for those who are ready, there's going to be a banquet. But Jesus is warning us. There's no way around that fact. He isn't bluffing. He doesn't bluff. Be ready. So how can I be return ready? Again, those two main points. Number one, be alert. Keep his return in front of your mind. Don't wait until you're older. Give your youth to God. And two, be active. What can I do as the person I am with the gifts I've been given to best serve God? So I'll finish with this. What's your life's ambition? To wake up on judgment day, maybe depending on your theology, you don't wake up, you sort of happens instantly when you die. doesn't matter. Make it your life's ambition to get to judgment day and hear those 13 words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. How about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, uh, Lord of heaven and earth, uh, it is a privilege to call you Father, uh, and you are just to judge us. Father, there's, there's no one who can judge us except you. Um, but thank you that you've, you've given your Son so that we trust in him, we can come into the banquet. Uh, Lord, we, we, have, we have these troubles in this world. Father, thank you that you've overcome the world and thank you that we have this great joy to look forward to. We look forward to that day. Please help this message to remain in us by your spirit. Please help us to apply it. Um, Lord, that we would live a, a life that is pleasing to you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The band's going to come up now and we're going to sing a song in response to this. And as we're singing, feel free to sing along or in your minds just to be reflecting on what we've heard, reflecting on what God's spoken to you. Um, and Lord, I pray that this message would, would remain with you. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.